be. Yeah! There it is! When that robot voice comes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to ELC. Woo! Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Or hey, maybe you're outside doing the yard work. Maybe you're strolling through the grocery store with us in your ear hole. Whatever the case, we're going to be there with you for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash DLC pod. They bring the show to you. Their generosity, their support means we get to make these. And oh boy, are we grateful. In return, they get some cool stuff, including ad-free versions of the show. They get video versions of the show on demand and a giant amount. I can't even express to you. It's probably too much. Bonus content, bonus content. You get our weekly bonus show, which we call Paid DLC. That comes out on Wednesday. It's Lana Bashinsky joining Christian Spicer and myself talking about a wide range of topics. Whatever comes up, it's crazy. It's fun. It's goofy. It's a laugh riot. But then we get the serious stuff too. You get the audio version, the podcast version of the DLC book club where Lana and I are talking about the Malazan books of the fallen right now, talking about reading in general. So much fun. That's for patrons specifically. And Feeling This is back. You have the entire first season of Feeling This, where Christian Spicer and Alex Solman talk about the feelings behind video games. And now season two in full effect. That's happening in real time. Video versions of that, audio versions of that. It's all for patrons at any level. They get the Feeling This. Check out all the different tiers over at patreon.com slash pod. But this show... The main show, DLC, it's the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada, the spell with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who, like me, is sporting some sick DLC swag that you can get over at DLCSwag.com. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Woo, there it is. When Jeff introduces me, you know it's time for me to begin. Whether you are listening on your... De- I think it'd be fun if I got to re-intro the show just every week. do the week exact after. same thing over again? Yeah. <laughs> Woo, I just want to bring that same energy back, you know? So uh, whether you are finished, now done with your yard work, give yourself a pat on the back while you drink some lemonade and you can... Um, hey, I'm happy to be here. Every day but Tuesday, I realized we I dropped like the idea content that, on the That Patreon. in your every continuity... They put on the show to start doing yard work, and then mm-hmm. 45 seconds in, they're done with their yard work. That's, that's called a, getting getting it done. I don't know how nice. long it takes you to do yard work. <laughs> Christian's like, one weed plucked. I'm done, baby. Done and done. I do yard work like Link. I just sit there. I hold charge for a minute. I yeah. let go. I cut all the grass, and then I walk away. It's Beautiful. done. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have an awesome show for you. Uh, you know, we finally gotten to that point. It's a brief little window. It's a tiny little window w- between massive releases. <laughs> Actually, we got a pretty interesting uh, VR release this week we'll talk about. But I am so excited about our guest. Oh, my goodness. You know that DLC always stands 
for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, I am so excited because DLC stands for daily legal coverage. <laughs> because we have the person who was there, boots on the ground, standing in lines, enduring the tedium for us to bring us stellar coverage of the Microsoft FTC court proceedings every single day last month. Our friend Rebecca Valentine is back with us. Hi, Rebecca. I'm back. <laughs> Gosh, you know, I, I mean, he, he was giving you a hard time about your intro, but like, I, I, you know, I've heard this show and I think I say this every time too. You know, I, I listen to the show and I've been on it twice, but nothing, nothing ever prepares me for just watching the energy you put into that every well, single time. You. It just like lifts me up. It makes my, my soul happy. I appreciate that. And Christian's always trying to make me feel that I, I'm not doing a good enough job. It's okay. It's his job. Oh, no, it's no, 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 no. I, I do not want you to feel like you are not doing a good enough job. I want you to feel like you are doing a bad job. Like oh, straight oh, fair, up. Fair. No, fair. I, I don't mean to mischaracterize your position. Thank um, you. I mean, this is, Rebecca, we're about to get into some legal stuff. Positioning oh. is important. Okay. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. Well, now I'm with, now, now I'm with two Christian, former lawyer, trained lawyer. Uh, and now I'm with two people that know way, way more than me about this stuff. But, I, you know, I'm so glad to have you here. We have been making a meal, nay, a smorgasbord <laughs> out of the coverage, your coverage oh specifically, and talking about it every single week. Uh, there's been so much juicy stuff, interesting yeah. stuff, stuff that y y you go down the rabbit hole of, oh, we're not supposed to know this things, uh, these things about these big companies. Uh, you, you did such an amazing job. I'm so curious to get your take uh, on the 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 proceedings overall, the, your experience of being there, your takeaways, uh, some things we may not have thought about. What was it like going there every day? Was it just boring? <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you for the kind words. No, it wasn't boring at all. I mean, there were elements of it that were boring, right? So it's like it, it's a it's a somewhat popular court case. Uh, and there, there was a period of time towards the beginning where I thought maybe I wouldn't be able to get a seat. And so for, and lo a lot of people thought that. So for the first several days, it was a lot of showing up at this downtown courthouse in San Francisco. Uh, and, and like, like the doors open at six. So we're all mulling around there at like 545 AM, like just sort of standing around. We all have coffees from like this coffee shop open across the street. That's like cash only, uh, and has like these really good pastries and this kind of, you know, okay coffee. And we're all just sort of standing around and then we get in there and then we do more standing around for, because it doesn't start till eight thirty, eight forty five, And so we're just standing in this cold hallway on the 19th floor of this courthouse, uh, with no windows. So it's just, it's just dismal inside, you know, mm. the wood paneling, this courthouse wood paneling, yeah. uh, several reporters, uh, have hired task rabbits to stand in line for them. <laughs> and so it's a bunch San of people. San Francisco, baby. Yeah. So it's a bunch of people in like suits, you know, I'm in like, like either, either a blazer, or, like a dress and heels, like one of those combinations. And then like three or four people who are in t-shirts, jeans, and baseball caps that say task rabbit on them, who brought like <laughs> tablets with candy crush on them Amazing. to keep them amused because they're just here to stand in line um and so we get in there and you know it's the wo the wooden benches suck and it's it's a courtroom but it's interesting it's really interesting because you get to see phil spencer and you know sarah bond and and matt booty and uh, bobby kodak and all of these video game executives who normally like normally when they speak to the public it's in this very 
prepared and packaged fashion, this very, very PR or very like we're speaking to investors fashion. And this was also very prepared, but in a very specifically different way, right? Like they they have these arguments that their lawyers are making by asking them questions and getting these answers that they have practiced and prepared for. And they've also prepared them to handle cross-examination. But the other side is, you know, hostile. And so you don't always know what you're going to get. And so you get situations like, I don't know, like Pete Hines kind of being put on the spot by the fact that uh, he said some words in a, in a frustrated tone over email when he found out that Call of Duty, that Spencer was promising the Call of Duty wouldn't be exclusive after a bunch of Bethesda games were taken exclusive. So you yeah. get moments like that where, where human beings are sort of showing through the cracks of, of these, these carefully crafted executive shells. And yeah. I think that was the most interesting part about it. There were certainly some some sections where we were all sort of going, oh my God, please let it end. Uh, the- <laughs> is, is, is Nintendo... A competitor, though. Rebecca, I want to spend oh my God. four more hours on... <laughs> oh, my God. Of, have you... So the, the Switch is... The, the Switch is what? The Switch is what? Your Honor, can I can I uh, approach the bench? What is the Switch? I need 20 <laughs> hours on. What is the Switch? I always, yeah. I imagine it like uh, like those old movies that I've seen of, uh, you know, somebody says something and then like 40 reporters rush out of the courthouse and rush to that one phone booth. They're trying to get, to, you know, we heard him say something he wasn't supposed to say, you know. Um, I, I can imagine that when you hear uh, a, a particularly juicy tidbit come out, it's like, ooh, I finally, you know. I mean, you suddenly hear in the room the sound of a bunch of little keyboards going, because everybody's just frantically typing this. Yeah. Yeah. And it was mostly, I think I was the only games like specific reporter there. I most of the people there were from financial outlets, political outlets, uh, you know, major news. I I don't know people who cover that kind of thing uh, normally. So that that was that was actually a little daunting, right? Because it's like, oh, these are all big, scary, grown up reporters. Which <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't mean no, and I, I shouldn't say I, I that because that. that degrades my own work. But it's still, and, and I shouldn't do that because I am I am a big grown up reporter. Yes, but you are it, very much it's so. That, but still, that feeling, that feeling of, course, of doing the yes. same thing. I can totally relate to that and understand it, you know, and it's natural to feel that way. But my goodness, did you uh, knock it out of the park? Coverage on IGN, of course, and it was, um, you know, it, it was so interesting and so great to have the video game centric perspective there. You know, I, I'm, I'm certain that you had a perspective that was lacking in a lot of those other, you know, uh, uh, places. There so. were certainly several people who either made comments in the hallways that I overheard that indicated they maybe did not understand video games <laughs> yeah. or people who, when they found out where I worked, like outright asked me questions about <laughs> video games. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rebecca, sidebar, what is the switch? Is <laughs> <laughs> it a competitor? Um, oh my gosh. So I, I'm so curious now, having, you having witnessed it firsthand, being there in the room, we are rapidly approaching that July 18th deadline. Oh yeah. What What is your assessment of how this is all going to play out from here? Are you, do you have confidence that this deal is actually going to happen or what is your opinion about it at this point? I honestly, I, I truly don't know. And I feel, I feel horrible saying that, but it, it's, it comes, this case is going to decide, I think, more than, I don't think it's going to decide everything, but I think it's going to decide a lot, right? So if, I think Microsoft made an extremely good argument. And I think, I think there's a lot of people online who feel that this is very clear cut in Xbox's favor because Xbox was, Xbox is very good 
uh, we were having a fun time while there, sort of like uh, cheering on Beth Wilkinson, not because, you know, we have an opinion on this case one way or another, but just because she's like this, you know, cool, snappy lawyer with colorful blazers on. And she's she's like hitting them with the zingers like, she's you know, she was good at <laughs> yeah. her job. Uh, and so I think it feels if you're listening like, oh, Microsoft's got this in the bag. They absolutely destroyed the FTC. And they, they kind of super did. But. The argument that was made at the end that I think is really important, at least, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I, I think what was really interesting uh, was the FTC basically argued that it's not their job to prove that this deal is anti-competitive in this case. Well, right. They've got a case later on in August where it is their job to prove that. But right now, it's just their job to prove that we need more time. We basically need to take this to like, cause, cause this was a very condensed case. Like they, they talked a lot about how this was kind of rushed. Uh, Judge Corley, wonderful. I feel like she did a very professional job on this, but she doesn't know anything about video games. Uh, you know, it, there's just, there's a lot of like big asterisks on this where the FTC is sort of arguing, Hey, like we really need the time. And if they finalize this deal in July, then we're still going to take it to court. But it's going to be the difference between stopping it from happening at all if it is anti-competitive or uh, having to unravel it after it's already done, yeah. which is a massive mess. And so yeah. that's that's what they are arguing they have to prove. And I don't – I mean, Microsoft is arguing, well, no, you have to prove that it's anti-competitive. Why did you drag us to court if you don't have proof that it's anti-competitive? This is a massive waste of time. It's on you. And I mean, I don't know. I think those are both pretty compelling arguments. But I think – you know, if the FTC managed to make its case that, yeah, you know, we just needed to introduce enough doubt. I do think they introduced enough doubt personally. And so I I don't know which way it's going to fall. I have no idea where Corley's going to land on it. I definitely think she wasn't wildly impressed with the FTC's arguments for it being anti-competitive. But I don't know, maybe, maybe the end got her. I'm not really sure. And so, you know, if it gets, if it gets delayed, the big question is, I, I think if Microsoft really, really wanted to, really wanted to i think they could push this sucker through like mm. like over time i think they could keep going to court i think they could keep pouring money into it but there's so many more roadblocks along the way like they've still got the whole thing going on in the uk with the cma that they got to get through and if this deal does get delayed then activision blizzard has the opportunity to renegotiate they have to pay out a bunch of money to activision blizzard like the longer this goes on the more expensive and annoying it gets and yeah. at a certain point you kind of have to reassess and be like, all right, I think we just got to pay them the, I don't remember how much it was. Like, like two bill, I think. Was it two I billion? Three. Yeah. I think it's two, three. three. Yeah, three. I think you're right. Yeah. I think three billion sounds right. I think it's just better to just pay out the three billion and, and walk away while we can and oh. try to acquire something else, which is like, okay, well, what a, what a bunch of wasted effort then. But, yeah. you know, I and I don't know. I don't know where their their heads are at. I know a lot of people are sort of predicting. Uh, I've seen some analysts predicting that if this if this injunction goes through, then they will walk away. Um, I, I think a lot of that sort of depends on how Activision feels about this because like Activision can renegotiate its side of things. And I don't know, maybe they're sick of this. I have no idea. So yeah, it's just, there's just so many little pieces that have to move into the right places, uh, where I, th I, I think if they want, if they want it to go through that badly, they can get it there eventually. But I, what's most interesting is the amount of precedent that is going to be set for future deals of this size, mm. uh, one way or the other. And uh, kind of where it leaves Microsoft in these various markets that it's arguing it is not especially strong in. Yeah. I, I find it fast. Well, one, it's also not the FTC's job to prove that government attorneys always dress worse 
than private attorneys. Like it's always <laughs> going to happen. It. They did. They the did. But it's not their job to. I mean, it is their pay scale too, but not their job. Um, the other side of this that I think is fascinating, Rebecca, and I'm curious if any of this kind of felt present in the courtroom is the idea of Activision is so big. Activision Blizzard King is so big. And therefore, Call of Duty, we got that wonderful information about how many PlayStation gamers only play Call of Duty, how many billions of dollars are spent in PlayStation products because of Call of Duty. And so that could kind of make it anti-competitive because it's so big. But what I think is fascinating about potential precedent setting is the idea of, you know, what if you're going to acquire new Insomniac and they don't have call of duty yet but clearly when sony acquired insomniac insomniac was good but not like now insomniac is just hit after hit after hit after hit and such a vital part of that studio and i think it's really interesting the way they're trying to position this argument as activision is so big and makes all these incredible games that buying them making them exclusive is anti-competitive whereas if it wasn't for this value or call of duty wasn't this behemoth it's almost like you can go buy the next Activision, no problem, but you can't buy the current Activision. And I think that's really interesting in terms of how the FTC is positioning it versus the CMA. The FTC seems to be positioning it on right now problems of like big, big company, big behemoth, big acquisition, where the CMA is, it seems, is positioning it as future problems, cloud gaming, and both at the same point of anti-competitive bad for consumers but i feel like taking very different roads to get there and i'm curious if any of that kind of you could feel that in the courtroom at all i know they talked about cloud a little bit but it seemed to ferry away from that in this uh preliminary injunction hearing here in the states it did you're right and i i do think there was it it was the last day the closing arguments were extremely interesting i mean i'm not i i haven't this is the first court case I've ever attended in person, and I don't normally listen to audio recordings of court cases. So, you know, I have an idea in my head of how closing arguments work, and it usually involves a couple of lawyers giving speeches and maybe a judge. There's a big a like dun dun, right? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. You can't handle um, the truth. <laughs> but I wasn't expecting like a forum debate, basically, between the judge James Weingarten and a little bit of Beth Wilkinson, and then some guy who's like sitting in the front row who is apparently the the closest thing they had to an expert on their economist testimony the other day. Uh, That poor guy, he was not supposed to be up there. Um, (laughs) But yeah, like all the days of the trial, for the most part, they did focus on exactly what you're talking about, like sort of the current situation. Uh, And then maybe like a little bit of, oh, Call of Duty 10 years from now, what does that look like? Like a little bit of that. But on the last day, I felt like the FTC started going, whoa, no, 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 wait a minute. This isn't just a a thing about now. This is about the future. Like what, you know, we can't undo this 10, 15 years from now when it's suddenly causing all these problems. And it it felt like an afterthought almost like, oh, wait, Mm. crap, we forgot to make this argument. Oh, no. Uh, There were actually quite a few moments on the last day of closing arguments where it felt like the FTC was kind of going, oh, crap, we forgot to make that argument. Uh, so I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I, that, that came through maybe on the recording or in the courtroom. I, it's, it's hard to, I don't know. It's, it's hard to discern what, what you all would have noted versus what yeah. I was seeing, I guess. I feel like 20 years ago, Jeff, this would have been about, uh, Tony Hawk, right? you know, like Tony yeah. Hawk's pro skater Hawk is the biggest hero. game. Yeah. yeah. You can't. And now it's yeah. like not mentioned. Yeah. I'm trying to think what 
what other companies would spark something like this? And I think like, so Ubisoft, certainly, if someone tried to acquire Ubisoft, uh, probably just for sheer size, but there's not a... There's not a single game that you could hang that on. You would have to point out things like like amount of studios or amount of employees right. or amount of money or something like that. Maybe Take Two would do the same right. uh, again for sheer size. Probably with them, it'd be GTA. Actually, I think we'd be hearing the exact same arguments about oh, you can't acquire GTA. Right. And well, that was one of the biggest, yeah. I, I you know, eye popping things from this is is getting actual hard numbers about what a behemoth Call of Duty actually is. Oh, yeah. Seeing those actual, like, it's, uh, you know, like $15 billion. It's like, that's a a lot of dollars for one game. Um, Yeah, fantastic stuff. I'm curious, you you know, just to close the book on this topic, so much of what came out and what you reported on and, and what all of us were talking about in the gaming community was the stuff that we're not supposed to know about the inner workings yeah. of how these companies interact with each other and how they work internally. Do you think there's any fallout PR wise from that stuff of having all of the dirty laundry kind of aired in public? Not a significant, well, okay. You put a big asterisk on this. Uh, they took that evidence folder offline And so there is more that we have not seen yet. And put the evidence folder back online, cowards. (laughs) I want to see it. Uh, If I don't get the evidence folder, I'm just going to FOIA request it all. Uh, Nice. But anyway, it's possible there is more in there that could shake things up. Um, I don't think... I, I don't think that any of the stuff that we weren't supposed to see is going to cause major waves like it was it was very interesting to know i think it gives us a lot of extra context and information on the games industry and how it works but i don't think anybody is ultimately like harmed in a significant way by that uh most of it was like i don't know things like sales numbers or or like uh who's who's thinking of acquiring who or spicy emails uh and and that that stuff is interesting in getting an idea of where people's heads are at i do think I do of, of all the evidence, if I have to call one thing out, I think the one that stands to, at least from an outside perspective, who did not see all the rest of the evidence folder, who is not a judge or a lawyer, uh, is the the sort of weird conversation from Jim Ryan, uh, where apparently he was totally, well, he was fine with this deal. He wasn't yeah, like thrilled about right. it, but he yeah. was like, yeah, it's fine. It's not a big deal. And then I guess Phil Spencer sent him an email in August that completely changed his mind. And- <laughs> I saw some people reporting like we had that August email, but I'm not convinced we do because there's an email in the evidence folder from May that's like Phil Spencer sort of talking about Call of Duty or whatever. And then there's another email from August that is just a, the, that exact same email. It's the same mm. text. And so it looks to me like that, you know, in an email, like you see the previous emails that had been sent. Yeah. It looks to me like it's just that part or something. And we're missing the actual new text. So I'm not, I mean, this is like, now I'm getting like galaxy brain conspiracy theory here, (laughs) but I'm not, I'm not fully convinced we've seen what Phil Spencer said. And so I think of all the evidence that stands to have the most impact, there is this idea that, that Jim Ryan doesn't actually care about this as much as he says he does. And I think that, I think that has the potential both to impact this case, but also it's the sort of ripple effect of, okay, well, he's not. 
he's not really that worried about Xbox as a competitor, I right. guess. He's yeah. not actually that worried about like, like he's very comfortable. Yeah. And no, I, I, it's just like an attitude, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I plucked that out too. When we were talking about it, that was the thing that struck me too, is literally you have in big, bold letters, we're going to be fine when the entire point of the case is we're not going to be fine, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's, that seems pretty, pretty impactful. As you said. Um, I think those emails though also are like to the troops. Hey, yeah. we're fine. Keep going. And then you're also yeah. just constantly bailing water out. <laughs> you know, like this is terrible. This is terrible. You're doing great. Keep rowing. Bail, bail, bail. And there's different oh, yeah. messages yep. you send yeah. to different. Or like, folks. like the. I mean, the, not to harp on Pete Hines, but it's like the Pete Hines emails again. Like he has one yeah. set of emails where he's emailing one of his. I don't remember who he's emailing. He's emailing somebody complaining about this. And he's like, oh my God, they're letting Call of Duty be multi-platform. Why wouldn't they give that to us? What the heck? This isn't what they said. And then he has an email to Phil Spencer. Hey, Phil, uh, I was a little confused by this. Can we <laughs> yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. it? I was like, yeah, you talk differently to your new boss than you do to your buddy. Yes, 100%. And yeah, that's what I love about it is that you get to see all those dynamics. It's, it's yeah. so interesting. It's it'd fun. be like if people could see Jeff and I's texts, you know, it'd be totally different. <laughs> no, it's than... basically the same. It's like, I just shout at you and you shout at me. It's fun. Um, this game sucks. I love this game. <laughs> uh, just stellar work, uh, Rebecca, as I've said. Thank and you. if you're listening and you haven't read uh, Rebecca Valentine on IGN, I highly recommend it. The, the, not only is the court coverage fantastic, she's doing awesome. There, I'm seeing she did a, a, a whole um, – um, compendium about what's going on with uh with perfect dark right now she sent a uh korok into space with some of the devs of uh, kerbal space program just great stuff uh one of our favorite uh content creators in the world so uh just kudos to you for great great content all right let's get into the show proper and uh start the way we always do with story of the week But first, it is time to thank our sponsor. And this episode of DLC is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, The first time I tried BetterHelp was actually, uh, I think it was during the pandemic or right at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, when things were so uncertain, things were so scary. And, you know, sometimes in life, we have those moments when the path forward isn't always clear, uh, whether, you know, it doesn't have to be a giant uh, global pandemic to make you think that sometimes you're just dealing with decisions around your career or your relationships or, or really anything else in life. Therapy can help you. It can help you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate your life so that you can move forward with confidence and excitement, honestly. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything. The more you practice it, the easier it gets. Wow, great, great line there. I think that's so true. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values, the more you practice it, the easier it gets. And hey, (laughs) sometimes it takes an outside party to help you practice that, to help you get easier at trusting yourself to make decisions. Christian, does that resonate with you? It does. It's like any muscle. You know, I've talked about before, I think on early episodes of this show, how I view happiness as a muscle. It's something that you need to continue to work on. Otherwise it can just, it's not, you just have it forever. And I think what I find beneficial about something like BetterHelp is that it gets rid of barriers of 
not having the time or not being able to fit it into your schedule. I talk a lot about on this show, the idea of convenience and finding something that fits my routine. And that's a big pillar of better help is that it's convenient. It's online. You can find time to make it happen. And it gets rid of a lot of those barriers to entry that I think people put up as reasons to not do something. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. As Christian said, it is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge if you don't feel like that's the therapist that you want. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DLC today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DLC. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. That's also where you can send comments or questions, anything you'd like us to hear. We'd love hearing from you at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We also have a subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com, and a great Discord where folks are talking all the time about interesting stuff, video games, the show, and all sorts of other things. That is also 5 by 5 DLC on Discord. But Rebecca, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Um, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna I'm gonna get in trouble for this. You're not gonna <laughs> like what I have to say. <laughs> I'm sorry in advance. Um well you have you have on here, I guess it's a jumping off point. Yes. Uh the Baldur's Gate 3 panel. Uh, mm-hmm. which was a big deal. Now, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to this panel because I am super excited for Baldur's Gate 3, and I kind of want to know, like, not a lot, basically. Yeah. But, boy, was my Slack, my <laughs> Twitter, my Blue Sky, my whatever Discord, threads. all the Discords I'm in. I'm not on, I'm, I'm not, I'm not I, haven't, I can't go on threads because I accidentally, my Instagram handle, I've never used Instagram before. My Instagram, my my whole Instagram handle is Bucks. I can't, that can't, I can't be on, on that. That can't be my brand. Um, anyway, it didn't everything. Stop He's e-money TV on, on, uh, that's pretty no, good. PlayStation. No, TVS. And that's on that. Those are my gamer tags. Jeff, e-money. On threads. Literally, e-money. That's what he went with. E-money TVS on, is my gamer tag on, is my gamer on threads. This show yeah. is DLC hype train. Yeah. Jeff. The show is on good. threads, that's ladies nice. and gentlemen. We thread. We, we thread. thread. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. on all of these platforms, all anyone could talk about was the bear. Yeah, you get fair, uh, and so like it, like ob- ob- I don't think it's the most important story this week, but I think I think the I world, think it is. the world think might it think is. it's the most important story this week. Uh, you know what? You're not wrong. Yes, the uh, the panel from hell for Baldur's Gate three, which is coming out on PC at least August third. It's yeah. been moved up. Uh, we got a lot of uh, really interesting information about character customization. We got a brand new voice actor that has been announced, uh, Maggie Robertson, who did uh, Lady Dimistrescu uh, from uh, the Resident Evil series. Uh, everybody's excited about her. Oh, there's so many things to talk about. It's going to be a such a long game. But yes, Rebecca is correct. The Some... the thing that stuck out is that you're going to be able to romance a bear while it's a bear. Uh, no, let, no, hold on. Let, let's be 
No, it's a druid, right? right. It's yes. a per- it's a person. It's a it's- person in bear turned- form. Yeah, okay. It's not weird. And you can't, it's not just romancing. You can have a physical relationship with this person who is a bear. Yes, while they're Um, a bear. Yeah. And so this is just, people are very excited about this. Sure, as one would be. Why wouldn't you be? Yes, the main reason to romance a druid, right? Like, there's no other reason to romance it. (laughs) Yeah, they're probably telling you about trees all the time. You know, they're they're (laughs) trying to get you to try their herbal supplements. Druids can... But then there's one real big upside about romancing. Now, the, the, the real takeaway, I think, is, is how robust and pervasive the romancing options in the game are. Evidently, you're going to be able to romance everybody. Uh, and to, to make that point, they went, yeah, you can even romance the druid in bare form. So there's going to be, if, you're, if you go to your role-playing games to be able to smooch a kiss all the people... Uh, you're going to love uh, Baldur's Gate 3 because evidently there's going to be smoochy kisses and more uh, for uh, basically everyone you encounter. I know that's going to be a big draw for a lot of people, and I think it's great. I love it just points to the level of freedom and creativity that this role-playing game is going to offer to players, and I think people are excited about that. Sounds like it's something that might interest you too, right, Rebecca? I mean, not the bear thing specifically, no. Um, but yeah. No, no, but- no, no, no. Hold on, hold on. But like, <laughs> also the bear thing though, right, <laughs> Rebecca? <laughs> no comment. Um, but, but, we have yeah. your emails. You emailed here, it said on... <laughs> but yeah, okay, and I, Jeff, I think you get it. Like, the, the takeaway, the takeaway from the bear thing, if you're not into the bear thing, is... Yeah. Like, like, look, Baldur's Gate and, and Divinity and, and the games that this that this studio makes are intended to sort of replicate the idea of playing tabletop games, right? Where right. in tabletop games, you have as much freedom as you want to give yourself, right? Like if you and another player want to strike up a romance and you want to role play a scene like that and your DM will let you, then yeah, who's going to stop you? Like you get to do that and you can uh, replicating all the sort of zany antics that a party might get up to while going on some adventure because the the whole thing about D&D and tabletop games is how much people love creativity and being able to sort of come up with these scenarios. And it's really hard to replicate that in a video game because you have to anticipate players' choices and then craft reward like valuable rewards for them and not as not necessarily like loot but like scenes or interactions or dialogue or things that indicate that the world is actually reacting to those things you have to basically be a dm for a dnd game that is inev- for, for all the dnd games that are going to happen in your world in the future that you don't know are going to happen yet yes and, and that's nuts and i no one's ever going to get that exactly perfect because it's literally technologically impossible right but the fact that this bear thing exists, as well as all the other things that they showed off in this panel that I did not watch because I don't want to know, because <laughs> uh, I want to play it, uh, it, it's a testament to that, is yeah. that there is going to be this wide degree of freedom, as, as you said. And so I think I think people should look look at uh, uh, their, their druid companions and see an opportunity that they do or do not have to take. Yes. Uh, and, look and at them, you know, that. side eye, and then you can see. Um, the... You're absolutely right to frame it that way. You know, as somebody that has DM'd quite a lot, the the magic of DMing for a specific group is you go, okay, you have a completely blank canvas. You can do whatever you want. But then once they start making choices, you get to just 
figure out, you know, you get to narrow down mm-hmm. all of the possible choices to what they decided in the re- in real time and then just, you know, keep making the story fit to the choices they're actually making. But if mm-hmm. you're making a video game, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people are going to be making all kinds of different situations. So you don't ever get to narrow down the set of choices that people can make. You have to design for all of it. And it's very difficult, very difficult to do, as you outlined very well. Um, and I think it's so cool that they put the time, the energy, and and the breadth into this game. And we we've we talked last week about the the big fact that they put out about uh, how there's more spoken dialogue in this than the oh, yeah. entire uh, you know the entire five seasons of the game Game of Thrones put together. You know, there's more uh, written out dialogue than all of the Lord of the Rings novels. You know, the text of the Lord of the Rings novels. It's you know it's these metrics are just kind of overwhelming, but it it, it shows the care and love that they've put into this game. Uh, and I think that's going to resonate with people. Another tidbit that came out from the panel that I, you know, not to spoil things, I don't want to give away no, anything. No, no, you're good. You're but good, you're good. Uh, I think you might particularly uh, enjoy this as a uh, as a journalist yourself. There's evidently a world newspaper in Baldur's Gate Three. No, that puts out new editions based on choices that the player makes over time so you're impacting the world woman a- sleeps with a bear <laughs> tonight <laughs> yeah i mean there's really only one edition it's the human sleeps with bear edition oh kirsten's got it right no it, it, i it, love this no, i check love this journalism out, and games i know isn't that amazing so you, you get this like real-time feedback of how the world is uh, reacting to some of the big choices that you're making because you know the newspaper comes out and things happen and you get to see how it Bear heartbroken tonight (laughs) on the evening news. Oh my God. But even better than that, Rebecca, they said that you can actually break in to the offices of the newspaper in game and change the news and like alter what people are thinking about because the news is sort of influencing people's. So you can break in, change the headlines. Bear actually really happy. Bear didn't break up with me. I broke up with Bear. It's just a, it's just an amazing level of detail. That... I do slimy fictional journalism. <laughs> Become a muckraker, you know? Oh my God. <laughs> anyway, there's a, my it just fantasy. seems like, it, it seems like a really, uh, a really exciting game. It's just a if shame that read... it's coming out within mere weeks of another enormous, deep, robust role-playing game. But if you want to read Rebecca's work, you can head over to Baldur's Gate 3, where you can. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? So I don't know if you heard about what you can do with a bear, um, but I want to spend <laughs> some time deep diving into a kind of related to metrics and, and what Baldur's Gate has put out about, you know, being this all-encompassing uh, world eating uh, of a game. We're also in the age still of Moneyball, baseball, metrics, and basketball, and three point shots, and trying to change things. And everything needs to be digested and d- distilled down to a data point. And that for games for so long has been sales numbers. We would get the MPD report and it would tell us box copies and we'd get all these delicious sales numbers and we'd speculate about what it meant for a franchise and fans who are always uh, genuine and kind with each other online would say nice things about the games they liked and didn't like when those sales numbers came out. 
So with that said, we are now getting reports of Final Fantasy 16's early sales figures. We got a report initially the first week when it came out that it had sold or shipped, I believe, 3 million copies. And since then, there have been reports that those numbers have gone down. And But we also live in a world of a black box of digital sales. And so what I find, there, there's the basics part of this story that is Final Fantasy 16 sales numbers, which is is fine, interesting. We can discuss that and the idea of whether or not it's better than 15 or what it means to be a console exclusive PlayStation 5, not even uh, system exclusive, but you know PS5 only, not cross-gen exclusive game and, and what that might mean. But I think what I'm also interested in is the idea of sales numbers as an outward facing representation of success in gaming today in 2023 and when that might change further. And I think game, I think we saw some of this in the FTC versus Microsoft of what game pass means or what PlayStation plus means and and what these exclusivity deals mean other than raw numbers. Um, But Jeff, what I think is fascinating for this, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it first, if I may, is are we going to get another email from Square Enix that says Final Fantasy 16 failed to live up to expectations? I mean, Copy pay Square Enix every game they release. It does seem like that's the you know we, three million ain't 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 cutting it. You know, I think we heard that that uh, there was some some reporting to the fact that you know they were they want this franchise to be in the like tens of millions. Um, uh, you know, thirty million was what I heard, um, but there's a lot of uh, discussion specifically in Japan that the game, it it fell off a cliff sales wise and has not lived up to expectations there. And I think this is all tied into some of the discussion that we've had over the last several weeks about Final Fantasy 16 and, and the pervasive discussion about it across the web, about how much it has deviated from what is traditionally a final fantasy 16 game and is it a role-playing game or is it an action game and and all of that stuff so a lot of people are using these sales figures to sort of bolster their own arguments in that regard and i don't think it's hard for me to interpret the game itself uh, or the direction they took the game that is uh as not really wanting it to appeal to a very wide mainstream audience and if that was the goal, it does seem like these numbers are have to be a, a bit of a disappointment. Again, not knowing what the digital sales numbers are, it's hard to, you know, people are comparing it to the previous Final Fantasy, which came out at a different time when digital sales weren't as pervasive as they are. I'm using pervasive a lot today. That's a, the word is stuck in with me. I don't know why it was my. It's pervasive and you're pervasive in my, my <laughs> vocabulary. Uh, anyway, um, it, it, that fewer people were buying things digitally even just seven years ago when final fantasy 15 came out so and it was hard- coming out after an mmo final fantasy right. as a right. return to quote-unquote single player final fantasy and so it, it's hard to find a one-to-one comparison to say you know this is good or this is bad uh rebecca i'm curious what your take on this is uh, uh you know square enix as christian referenced has been very quick to throw a lot of their titles under the bus you know tomb raider disappointment uh what was the other one christian spoken did not yeah, reach disappointment our... um you know these these sales numbers are not what we wanted and i i can't imagine three million shipped is is you know their high watermark but i'm curious what your take is i mean it's exclusive to ps5 
Yeah. What did you? What do you want? Like, what? What did? What did they expect? I because what you have here, like Final Fantasy fifteen, shipped five million on the first day, and that was out at launch on PlayStation Xbox. Was it on PC at launch too? It had to have been, right? Uh, it may have been, but it certainly was on more than just a PlayStation. And the install base of PS four was fifty million at the time. So yeah, yeah. So I, I. Yeah, I, I I feel like they I feel like they should be they're doing a surprise Pikachu face on this, and I think maybe that's that's uh, that's sort of a silly thing to do. Now the sales drop off since then maybe is a little more eyebrow raising. I mean, I don't have numbers on Final Fantasy fifteen or remake, so it's hard to say if those two had a similar drop off. Probably not, or they might have complained about it really loudly given their current trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I I'm a I'm a a mild final fantasy fan you know i'll i'll play that i'll play them if they look like they appeal to me and skip them if i don't feel like it um and final fantasy 15 i feel like the marketing leading up to that game that game had so much more identity and personality than 16 seems to now i have a lot of friends who are playing 16 who are really enjoying it and say say that it's it's actually phenomenal but just going off like marketing and trailers alone and what i've seen 16 seems just I, I, you t- you said about a, trying to appeal to like a, a much more broad audience, and I think in doing that, it just sort of like lost some of its personality, at least in the public facing communications about that game. It just feels very, I don't know. It feels like 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 white bread with some grape jam on it. I don't know. It's I, like you know. Fine. I think you make an excellent point there. I. I you know, I have not been a huge fan of Final Fantasy sixteen. I played. A, I think I've. I'm done playing that game. I I didn't finish it. I kind of, you know, moved away from it. I know Christian, you like it a lot more than I do, but and I and I, I love I hate white bread so, and jam. Yeah, you do I love mean, white sure, bread and jam. Some people do. Yeah, no, and I hear it's very good jam. A, jam is delicious. <laughs> it's delicious uh, the, jam. The you're right to point out that a lot of people love it. It's gotten great review scores uh, from a lot of outlets. A lot of people love it, uh-huh. but I do think. And it's it's hard not to sort of retroactively justify my own opinion of the game this way. Yeah. So I understand that may be what I'm doing. So take this with a grain of salt. But it's hard not for me not to think, you know, the the wrong if this is the game they wanted to make, kudos. But if this is the game they made because the decision was let's make something that'll sell 30 million copies and let's make something, you know. Instead yes. of making the game we want to make, let's make the game that is best. This is the jammiest, white breadiest game to get the most people eating <laughs> P and B and J's. You know, like we want to get the most PB and J's sold. So let's not make it with artisanal bread. You know, yes. I'm straining because, this. Uh, well, because metaphor 15 now. and 7 remake aggressively feel like games that somebody wanted to make. Yes. Like 7 remake feels like, all right, Final Fantasy 7, one of the most important games for the industry ever ever made iconic classic let's mess it up <laughs> right, uh, right. and 15 is boys road trip all right heck yeah let's go yeah. but yeah I, and, and i don't know maybe that is there in 16 i have not played it and and people like i said people seem to really dig it so it's clear it does have a lot of personality and heart and energy to it but i don't think that came across in how they publicized this game and i actually this is i'm trying not to do the whole like drop scoops on a podcast so like this is big big grain of salt energy here but I I have gotten the impression from conversations I've had and things that I've seen that Square Enix's like wider marketing comms department has kind of been struggling in the last couple of years. Like there have been so many smaller games from Square Enix that have just been sort of thrown out there with literally nothing 
behind them, like no, no marketing, nothing. And then they just died on the vine. And then for spoken, I think is another example of a game that I don't know, you like it or you don't, whatever. But I think it was maybe marketed not amazingly the entire time. Yeah. Like, do you remember the initial trailer we saw of that where she's like jumping over mountains and doing all this cool stuff? Like that was amazing. And yeah. everything after that was like, oh, really? Right. Um, and yeah, I think 16 maybe suffered from a little bit of that. Yeah. I, I don't disagree as someone who likes the game. And and I don't know if they were trying to be respectful of spoilers uh, narratively uh. or something like that. But I, I agree that visually it lives in a place that we are spoiled to have an abundance of right now, which wasn't uh. always the case. But Fellowship of the Ring content, there's plenty of it. Uh, Game of Thrones, tons of that content. There's a lot of high – Boulder's Gate. There's a lot of high fantasy content that is very good right now. So when mm. you see dragons and knights and swords and some magic, it feels like it could be anything. Whereas before, Final Fantasy didn't necessarily feel that way, even when it was playing in established tropes, whether it was character design and hairstyles or airships. But then, yeah, Cadillac on a way to a wedding, you know, is very different yeah. than what we're seeing with the visual imagery surrounding 16. But I also think, Rebecca, you you summed it up very well initially. And Jeff, I think you hit on this as well. It is a F- PlayStation 5 exclusive that's not a first-party game. And I just don't know how big those numbers can be. And it's disappointing because, as we saw from the Sharpie incident in the FTC case, these games are expensive to make. And yeah. so I could see how $3 million with a decline afterward is disappointing. But... It, it's hard, I think, to crack that 30 million sales goal on a single console without it also having Sony's marketing might behind it as the next yeah, God the, of War, the next thing. This take is this, a go ahead. You, sorry. Take this with a grain of salt because I just opened Wikipedia and I'm just reading off Wikipedia right now and I've not done any research into this, but I just opened Wikipedia and there's an article that says list of best selling PlayStation 5 video games. Uh, and literally the list is just Final Fantasy 16, 3 million, Demon Souls, 1.4 million, Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart, 1.1 million. The bar, I think, is low. <laughs> well, For PlayStation this is Live the... exclusive. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like not cross gen. This is the tweet from, um, from, uh, Bloomberg Japan reporter Takahashi Mochizuki, who said, uh, some say Final Fantasy 16's weak sales are due to elements out of Square Enix control. No, it wasn't. It was Square Enix that decided to launch the game on PS5 only on June 22nd at $70. No one else's. That's harsh, but there's, you know, there's a ring of truth to that. Um, Sony apparently paid them a bunch of money for this, according to everybody at the trial. So (laughs) I don't know if they got the Sony money. Maybe they should just be happy with their Sony money. My hope, if there's a silver lining to this, is that, you know, if my assessment is any anywhere close to accurate, that the next Final Fantasy game, they make, they just make it as weird and fun and, you know, different as they want to make it. As oh, ma- yeah. make, make the game you want to make and try not to appeal to this giant audience that you think wants, you know, big action or whatever. Like, just make the game you want to make and hopefully, you know, we can recover from this and uh i don't think i don't think the it's not like this game came out and landed with a thud right no three million is nothing to sneeze at and people love it as you said rebecca people love it so it's not like this is an embarrassment to them or anything like that i just hope that 
the lesson that's learned is you can't pander, right? Don't pander, like make a great game. And I mean, a lot of people think this is a great game, but. I've been doing this podcast wrong all these nine plus years in Jeff. We're not supposed to pander. Yeah. And maybe oh. put things on multiple platforms if you want to sell more <laughs> copies. I don't know. Well, I mean, Pete Hines agrees. Yeah. And Pete's like, uh, please. I thought we were going to sell these to all the, every, all the people. Console, all the consoles, please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, um, I mean, we're already uh, super long. So I, there's not another huge story. I, I thought it was interesting that we might be getting uh, remakes or remasters for uh, two games that the sort of, uh, I don't know if leaked is the right word, but there was some reporting on uh, both Assassin's Creed Black Flag getting a remake or remaster and the original Red Dead Redemption. Uh, I don't know if, Rebecca, either of those resonate for you. you want to comment uh, briefly on either of those as a possible remake remaster? Um, yeah, I saw, I saw both of these, uh, I, listings are always a little, the, so, so the, the Red Dead one was based off of a, a ratings listing, right? And, yeah. and th- those can always be sort of hit or miss as to whether that's actually a thing or not, but right. I wouldn't be surprised if this was real. Like, re- why not bring back Red Dead Redemption in some sort of easy to play current gen way? Yeah. Like, that's. That that is an easy pitch to me. Yes, of course. So I would not be shocked if that was on the way. Um, and then AC for Black Black Flag that was uh, from Kotaku. Yeah, mm-hmm. a report. Yeah, I mean that makes a lot of sense because their report is talking about how Ubisoft Singapore has a is very involved in its development. And Ubisoft Singapore, if I remember correctly, is currently struggling to get skull and bones to the finish line yes and so Which i was supposedly going to be a black flag uh spinoff like a black flag um expansion way way back ago way yeah. back. wouldn't it yeah. be wild if 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 the, i mean it sounds like this is true but that's that's so wild that we, so they make a pirate assassin's creed game they make black flag and then they take what they learned from that and try to turn it try to make like sort of a spinoff or an expansion skull and bones and then that is just this massive like how long has this thing been in development? Like this, this, this completely agonizing delayed, yeah. delayed seven times now, possibly yeah. more endeavor uh, that is just destroying them. And then they're like, oh, well, if we have to salvage this, let's turn it back into Black Flag again. <laughs> what? I love, I love the idea that we've been working on this so long that we could just remake the first game and... It's been long enough that we can maybe resell that one. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting stuff. I don't, Christian, do you have any uh, thoughts? I mean, January, Christian had lots of thoughts about Red Dead, so I hope that uh, remaster's coming because Spicedradamus would be happy. Did you predict that? Come on. Yep. yep. Oh, I hate it when you're right. Well, well I'm right. not well, right yet, uh, so fingers crossed. Let's not jinx it. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's get in and talk about some of the games that we've been playing in a segment we call The Playlist. Rebecca, what has been on your playlist this week? How how many do I get to do? As many as you want. I don't have any VR or tabletop, so you're gonna skip. Yeah, later Christian, on, and I'll talk so VR. We don't really have uh, okay. games that aren't VR in our playlist, so you get to take as much time as you'd like. So the first the first thing is just a real quick shout out. I play World of Warcraft, and my raid team got ahead of the curve last just last night, which nice. means we defeated the final boss of the current raid on heroic. We get a little achievement for it. Uh, feels really good. It's really exciting. We've been working on that for weeks. So Congratulations. I, I'm really That's proud. fantastic. Thank you. Have Thank you. you 
dabbled or been curious about uh, any uh, hardcore mode? Because mm. I, I, my, my friends and I, my work uh, WoW friends and I have uh, started on on a hardcore server, and they announced the official hardcore servers are coming to WoW yeah. as well. To WoW yeah. Classic, I should say. This is classic. Yeah. But have you have you thought about that? Have you have you had any discussion with your team? Your I think is it uh, well. So my raid team explicitly plays retail. I don't. I think okay. most of them don't play classic. Maybe one or two of them dabble, but I we don't have a significant population on classic. Um, I fair. played classic when it came out. It was it was a really fun time because uh, I started playing WoW back during Lich King, and mm. WoW as it was in vanilla is closer to what I played in Lich King than sure. current WoW yeah. is. Uh, but I, you know, I didn't keep up with it because it's a lot, it's already a lot to play one MMO. Like my raid team is really casual. We raid once a week. And then once we cl- like we cleared ahead of the curve and now we're going to take a break until the next raid. So like, we're pretty chill. Um, I will probably play hardcore in the sense that when it, is it out yet? It, it might- no, they just, they just announced that the servers are going to happen. I don't think they've announced a date yeah. for when they're going to happen. Yeah, That's right. So when, when that comes out, I will probably make a character and I will play until I die. And yeah. that will probably happen very quickly because I'm not great at this game. Uh, and then I will stop playing. Like that that's that's what's going to happen. And that's Fair okay. Enough. I'm extremely happy with that experience. I am really excited to watch the, what the community does with it because like so many interesting possibilities, right? You know, who yeah. can hit max level first on hardcore? Uh do you do you raid? Do you, how do you do dungeons? Like people just die all the time in dungeons and raids, like oh my well, god. They're limiting I, you can only do one dungeon a day um so within hardcore okay uh, there's all kinds of weird interesting limitations in hardcore i wouldn't have to get into it too much but it it's it's a fascinating sub community that i've just mm. sort of uh, been dabbling in a little bit but it is it's amazing when there's stakes like that when you've invested literally the 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 currency is time right i put so much time into this and i can just i can just lose it all yeah uh, the interesting thing they're doing with the um the official hardcore uh, servers which you can't do with the you know fan-made mod version of the hardcore servers right now is the official version is going to let you if you if you die you can take your character and res them on a different non-hardcore server so oh, like you, that's you cool. can like salvage the time that you put in and be like okay i just really love this character and i'll play them somewhere else or it's i love not hardcore. that that's yeah. really good i yeah. yeah the thing that i worry the most about with that is like toxicity because i mean let's be honest wow already doesn't have like the nicest yeah. and i can just i can see this going really south like you get together in a dungeon group and you you're working to clear a dungeon and then like the group wipes or something and everybody's lost all their progress everyone just starts screaming at the healer like you know oh dude I, can i tell you some of the i don't want to get off on a tangent here christian's like what are we talking about but the 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 ways in which people in the hardcore community have creatively come up with to grief people is oh. act, you kind of have to applaud it because Basically, what will happen is have like a high level hardcore character. You, you know, you have to flip your PvP tag, your flag, because it's on a mm-hmm. PvP server. But you can't just you know attack people lower level. You have to they have to flip their PvP flag. So people like like hunters will name their pet the name of a a mob that is in the area that you have to you know be just like you know dire wolf or something like that, and they'll like you know, hide and hang, have their pet hanging out near where somebody has to farm those types anyway. And then you you accidentally attack their pet and they're like, okay, your PVP flag is flipped. I get to kill you. Or they'll have rogues that will stand on an NPC character. (laughs) So if you click 
you know, the rogue will be stealthed and yeah. standing literally on an NPC character. And so you accidentally click the rogue instead of the NPC character. And now your flag is flipped. And oh, dude, people are just so creative where they'll drag mobs through your area. Yeah. And, you know, so some high level character will drag like 15 mobs through your area and then just all the mobs will target you and kill you because it's 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 pretty dreadful. Anyway, well, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. What do you play? What class do you play? Uh, uh, for the hardcore server, I've been playing. Um, oh God, what did I roll? Uh, I rolled a hunt. I rolled a hunter because uh, I never played hunter actually before. Uh, I rolled a hunter on our hardcore server. It's been it's been fun and because it's cool. like those old the the classic version of WoW is so different. Oh, yeah. It's so it different. It really is. Anyway, congratulations on your raid group. By Thank the way. you. And what else is on your playlist? Uh, I've been, so I I finished Tears of the Kingdom a couple of weeks ago, and I've just I'm. I'm in this like slump because nothing else is Tears of the Kingdom. So I'm just sort of like vibing a little bit. Uh, I've been playing Story of Seasons, A Wonderful Life, uh, which is a remake of Harvest Moon, A Wonderful Life for the GameCube, uh, which I played the crud out of when I was younger. Oh my gosh, I played so much A Wonderful Life. And I'm, play- I'm playing this remake uh, that's, I think, a solid enough remake. It's one of those remakes where... They did a great job on it. Like, it's a good remake. It has all the features you'd want it to have. It has good quality of life stuff. It runs nice. It's nice to look at. Uh, But it's sort of making me realize that Harvest Moon A Wonderful Life wasn't, like, an amazing game to begin with. Um, So I'm just sort of... It's very... It's very different from other Harvest Moon games. I don't know how into farming sims either of you are. Um, no, me, not that much. I don't know, Christian, do you like a lot a farming of dabbling sim? over the years, but more so in the GameCube era. I, mm. As Animal Crossing has gotten better mm, and yeah. kind of scratched that cozy game itch for me, I've had a hard time playing anything else, even though it's not exactly one to one farming game, but it gives me enough of it that yeah. I have a hard time playing others. For sure. I think the big difference in A Wonderful Life that sets it apart from all the others is that most most farming sims, maybe there's some sort of goal in terms, like, like in Stardew Valley after the third year, you, you're trying to please your grandfather or whatever. Uh, there's various goals. But in A Wonderful Life, you actually age and die uh, at the end. Like it is a full life. And you you get married after the first year and you have a child and you raise your child from a, a little baby toddler to a grown adult with its own inter- with his own interests and career. Um, and, and that, that is interesting. Like it is very, very unique, but sort of the result is the, the the pacing is just very, it's simultaneously more fast paced than other similar games, but also slower paced and that there are fewer things to do. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting. It occupies this weird space where sometimes I'm frantically going, oh my God, time is passing so fast. And then sometimes I'm standing around going, there's nothing to do right now. I should just go to bed at three in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I like a game that encourages me to just go to bed. Just go to bed. Come yeah, on. But it's nice. If you liked A Wonderful Life, maybe maybe check it out. It's got all the features from like the – because there were like multiple versions of that game and it's got mm-hmm. like all the features. Uh, I can be gay, which is great. Uh, I, I've married Muffy. I'm delighted. <laughs> and you're playing this Sorry, on – she's Molly now. And you're playing this on Switch? Yes. Very no. Cool. Wait. I'm playing it on PS5, sorry. PS5. Story of yeah. Seasons, A Wonderful Life. The, you it have another is game. on Switch. I it think it's on, on all the platforms. Yeah. 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 Um, you have another game on your list that I'm yes. very curious about because I've heard very good things about Ghost Trick. Yes. Are you enjoying it? 
Yes, I've played about an hour of Ghost Trick. I never played the original, had no idea what I was in for. I was, I was like I said, in that post-Tears of the Kingdom slump, scrolling through various uh, console storefronts, trying to figure out what to do, and my partner recommended Ghost Trick. Uh, it is apparently the right, the same writer as Ace Attorney, Yeah. I think. Yeah. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, yeah. And and my my partner said it is probably his best self contained standalone story. Uh, and I li- I like Ace Attorney, so I picked it up. And you you play as this you, this fellow who has died, uh, this ghost of a man uh, who has special ghost powers that other ghosts don't have, uh, and he can possess objects and do a a trick basically ma- basically make them like kind of poltergeist, like, like act in a certain way. So like he can, like there's a little electric fan and he can turn the fan on and off and make the fan move. Or, you know, he can, he can possess all these items. And so you can jump from item to item within a certain distance and then interact with them. And those interactions then happen in the world around him. And can, mm-hmm. you know, people can, people will notice them or, or react to them. And then uh, he can also, if, if another person has died, he can rewind the clock back four minutes before their death and use his tricks to attempt to prevent that death. So it's it's this ghost man who has died in a very suspicious circumstance who is now attempting to use these two powers to sort of figure out who killed him, why, what was the purpose behind his death, and he, who he is, because he doesn't remember anything. He has amnesia. And yeah, it's it's this very bizarro premise, really. Yeah. Like very specific and strange, but it's really good. It's all these interesting little timed movement puzzles. They're they're time time limited, so you have to like do them correctly. Uh, because characters are actively moving in real time as you're moving around and trying to interact with the environment. So you're trying to catch them at the right time or or, or move something just so. Uh, but then you can also do, if you mess up, you just rewind time and redo it. So it's it's forgiving in that regard. Uh, but yeah, it's it's good. The writing's good. It's interesting. Yeah. There's uh, a dog named Missile. Hey, that's a good dog name, Missile. Yeah. Um, we uh, we reviewed this back in 2010 on the Totally Rad oh. Show on the Nintendo DS. Wow. Uh, and I remember uh, really digging it. But you're right. It's so different and so interesting. And, man, shout out to the Nintendo DS. Oh, yeah. Dude, such weird, different, cool games on that. And I'm curious how they do it now on, uh, you know, on Switch or, or on, you know, in, in modern consoles. Because so much of that game was like tapping on things. Um, with your hmm. stylus, but uh, really interesting, cool game, Ghost Trick Phantom Detective. Yeah, it's thirty bucks. It's not expensive. Yeah, it, it, yeah, really interesting game. It's good. And uh, it got the full right. update. It looks like just I haven't played this new version. I also played the the DS version way back when. But it looks like they spent the time, and it's you know not just a port of a game, but a remaster, if you will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it looks nice. Graphical overhaul and stuff. That's cool. Yeah. I if you're still trying to find a, a game to get obsessed with, uh, Rebecca, uh, I, I may humbly suggest uh, Dave the Diver to you. If you haven't about that, Tell it's so good. It's so fun. It's delightful. I talked about it a lot last week, so I won't belabor the point. But it is, it's it's sort of this mix between uh, very zen, very fun, very just like I'm doing a really lovely no stress thing. To the other half of the game is like super high stress. Can I do it? I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do it. Uh, and the, but the story is awesome. It keeps unraveling this fun story too. Okay. Uh, big fan of Dave the Diver. All right, Christian and I basically all week spent our time in VR. So let's hop into the VR segment. Virtual reality. VR. Virtual reality. 
PSVR. All right, a major PSVR 2 release came out this week. This is a game that has been um, been you know pumped up for quite a while. It's one I've been highly anticipating. Uh, Christian, you and I both picked up Synapse, a uh, a shooter. This is a shooty shoots. You know, I've been talking about like VR needs to be more than just shooty shoots. This is a shooty shoots. This is a roguelike shooter uh, where you're going into the mind, into the subconscious. Uh, trying to figure out what's going on, and there's all kinds of weird creatures coming after you, and it's uh, it's roguelike in that you are going run after run, uh, getting new powers. You have these telekinesis powers. You can pick up things, throw them, pick up people, uh, and getting farther and farther, and as you do, as you uh, defeat enemies in more creative ways, you unlock new powers and new abilities um, to make yourself able to go farther in the run. Classic roguelike stuff. Interesting visual style. I'm curious what you think of Synapse, Christian Spicer. So I'll start with the things I don't love. I still am not a rogue type person. Yes, there are standouts, Hades, um, Dead Cells. There are some games in that genre that I very much love and adore. Most of the time, it is not a genre for me. I prefer a more linear progression or even an rpg style progression where it's not everybody gets the same power at the same time but you are kind of i guess more in control of advancing the narrative for sure versus dead cells where before they made it easy i just couldn't finish it (laughs) yeah i kept getting items i didn't like and synapse is a rogue type game in that way i have not finished it i have put multiple hours into it My best run was probably my fourth, maybe, where I feel like I got really good, cool upgrades. Because, it's again, it's that classic rogue type of some that you carry forward. And others, as you finish a level, you'll get a perk. that then when you die, you do not have that perk with you next time. And maybe you won't even get the option to unlock that perk uh, when you finish a level as you progress next time. So that is probably my biggest nit about the game. I, I, I don't love that progression system in general and synapse very much uses that progression system that said oh my goodness does this game play to the strengths of the psvr 2's hardware in such incredible ways we speculated about this when they showed reveal trailers for it how beautiful it would look on the oled screen of the display and it is stunning it is this black and white chromatic world that you're in a lot of the time but then with bright splashes of neon color for the doorway or for when the enemies spawn in or for when you use your telekinesis powers. The haptics and the headset are really cool. The virtual surround sound is done really well. And the way default controls that you control your your power is with eye tracking. And so there are certain objects in the world that you can move and control and how you select them is by looking at them. And then uh, I use my left hand you can change, I think, which hand is your dominant hand, which hand is your shooty shoot, and which hand is your, your power's hand. For me, it's my left hand. So I'm, I look at a barrel. I just look at it in the world. And then I take my left hand and fling it at people or explode it. And that, for the hours I put into this game so far, has not felt old at all. I could just do that. Oh, I'm going to use this crate. Let me look at that crate. I'm going to move it. And it feels like I have actual telekinetic powers yeah. the way i had imagined it would be in the world i look at the magneto, thing that i can throw that's how yes. magneto does it magneto just looks at what he wants to do and then does it bye bye adamantium out of wolverine's uh skin <laughs> that will then be put back in 10 years later and then ripped out again and then put back in but yes and it's incredible it's never 
it's never not fun. The upgrades that I have received, the permanent upgrades, there are some really, really cool ones. Some of the temporary ones that I've received in runs also are very cool. I wish I still had them. And I really like the story. It seems simple so far, but it's it feels like what if we took Inception and made the game around it? You're going into somebody's mind to steal a secret from them. And they have all these defenses that are visualized as soldiers in this world. And you have to, to shooty shoot them to get them. The cover mechanic is really cool. The way uh, you can do it, you actually hold on so to cool. it. And you're pulling yourself in and out of it, which is really cool. And you can, it's not just for going behind cover. I used it to vault myself up and over a ledge, yeah. which is awesome. And then the last thing I'll say about it that I think this could be a con for a lot of people. I was impressed that it didn't bother me is that it is only, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not smooth movement, but only true movement. There is no teleportation control scheme in this game, which a lot of first-person VR games have, and this does not have that as a comfort setting. You can vignette, and you can do not smooth turning, where it kind of does it by angles, but moving forward and backward in the world is only done standard locomotion. And but did you ever get sick? Did you ever get sick? That's what I was going to say. I, this is the first game, first first person VR game I've played, and I even turned off the uh, degrees for turning. I am playing totally smooth, and I have had no problems. I'm bummed that there's not an option, but I can see how the game's not designed for teleportation. But uh, yeah, to its I credit, I have not gotten sick at all. Teleportation, I think, would break the entire game. It would be a very different game. Yes, because yeah. so much of the game is about traversal. I mean, basically, you're in these arenas. And you have to kill a certain number of bad guys to progress. In order to get th- to be done with the level, it's not going from the start of the level to the end of the level. There's a doorway that is not active until you kill everybody in, in the level. So it is very much an arena. Uh, and, you, and the arena is multi-tiered. There's ups and downs. There's elevators and platforms that you have to activate with your telekinesis. And, and enemies you're, can spawn behind you. It's not just going forward. It's yes. yeah, all around. Right. It is. You are inside this maelstrom. And I mean, that's part of what I was going to talk about being amazing about You mentioned the uh, spatial audio. Man, there are so many times in this game where I'm like, I hear them behind me. And I turn and I shoot. Like, it feels I can use the audio to locate where a bad guy is before I see them. So cool. Um, it's actually behind you. Again, we harp on this for VR a lot, and I apologize. But there is something fundamentally different about playing Call of Duty with great spatial audio or Fortnite and having great 3D audio and going there behind me, and then I turn my in-screen character around and kill someone behind me versus in VR, they're behind me. Yeah. I turn around, they're behind me. <laughs> yeah, it's different. And just being able to move my head and check check my angles and check the, you know, all of the basic VR stuff, it... it really does make for a thrilling experience. And, you know, you're so right to say that it is, you know, it it it, it, it does all of the things that we've had in shooters, but it does them so seamlessly in this new environment that I'm not struggling. I'm not, it's, it's intuitive, you know, and that is something that, yes, of course it should do that, but it's not always the case in VR, right? Sometimes it does, feel clunky a little bit and this game is just so smooth there's no fall damage so i can leap off of things 
I can climb anything. So there's never a point where I get myself, oh, I fell off a ledge and now I'm in this weird, I'm standing in water and the, I, there's craggy stuff around. I, I got stuck in the geometry. Oh no, I have to respawn or whatever. It Literally anywhere you land, you can climb out of it. And anyway, so you're in this, you really feel like you're in this place, this space, and all of its features are at your disposal to use. You can get the high ground and shoot down on people. You can pick stuff up and toss it at people. I, you know, I, one of the first things I unlocked was being able to pick people up and toss them around or just pick them up and just smash, smash, smash like Hulk, you know, but like telekinetic, telekinetic Hulk, where you're picking people up and just banging them against the walls, you know, telekinetically, but you're doing it with your hand. So you feel, you know, you feel awesome. And that uh, sense controller is really nice. It's the, yes. a great implementation of it. It squeezes lightly to just pick up something, squeeze hard to crush. Very yes. fun. So you can pick up an explosive barrel, move it. So you, there's times when the, the enemies haven't noticed you yet. So you'll pick up a, a explosive barrel, telekinesis over to two guys who are just standing there, and then squeeze your hand, and it explodes right on them. Very, very satisfying. Uh, it, it, the game is awesome, and I love the upgrade path because it it does the thing that I I love most in these games, where what it's asking you to do to upgrade the the upgrades that carry forward into subsequent runs is do things that you might not already be doing. You know, it's, it's like an achievement to some extent. Like, yes. oh, cool! It alters your playstyle. You have to try to do a certain number. You know, there's certain things that you'll do just in the course of doing it. But there's other ones, you know, further on you get, the more specific they get with the with the requirements to unlock the next big <laughs> upgrade. And so it really changes up your play style because it's like, well, I need to get this currency to spend on the next upgrade. So I have to do this very specific kind of playthrough. And I love that. I love when a game asks me to get out of my comfort zone and do, you know, engage with its systems in a way that maybe I hadn't been. It's like, oh, you got to... You know, you got to kill the enemies in this very specific way in order to get this upgrade now. Um, so I, I'm having a blast with this game. I know there are a lot of first-person roguelike games in VR. Like, that is very much an oversaturated subgenre right now in VR. You get tons of them on Quest and, and tons of them on uh, PC VR. This, I think, is top tier. It really is so much fun. I'm having such a blast. You're right, the... The look and feel of it is very iconic. This desaturated world that, you know, when you when you kill the last enemy on a level, it like sends out this wave of color through the world. It's really cool. It's so much fun. It is really a, a slick game. I highly recommend Synapse. Yep, seconded. My only, as you're talking, my only other thing, and I think it's it's a me thing that I play a lot of Pistol Whip still in PSVR 2, and Synapse does not seem to have any uh or very little auto aim or bullet help yeah, whereas yeah. pistol whip is you feel like a god like yes you have to point at the character but you can just be like vibing out you know spinning in circles and yeah. your bullets go where they're supposed to go it feels like angelina jolie and wanted if anyone remembers the movie version of it the comic well you can get the stuff. actual wanted feature as yeah, in, in synapse where it bends it's, the bullet you know anyway, very sorry. cool very cool but synapse there were times again i think because of the sense controller and because of my crappy i guess real world aiming where i'd have like kick and i'd miss and i'd go oh come just give me a little auto aim game yeah. just give me Give me a yeah. little auto aim. Well, I've pistol whip, you're just John Wick. You're just like yes, you can't miss <laughs> behind your back. You know, it's it doesn't matter. But it, yeah, for sure. Um, 
But, you know, it, but you have so many other options as to how to dispatch an enemy. Because the other thing is I'm often running out of ammo, you know, because I'm just like yeah. unloading a clip. In, and you you have to get ammo by killing enemies and they'll drop it. And I'll be, have zero anim, ammo and there'll be three enemies. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm just picking stuff up and chucking yeah, it at fuck, people smash, now. You know, smash. It's, it's, yeah, smash, 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 smash. Uh, very fun. Uh, catching oh. grenades in the air and tossing the, them back. He- I couldn't. Can you do that at the start? That was gonna be no, my other. No, no, you have to unlock yeah, that. Yes, that's because it looks like it's it's highlighted in a way that other things in the world are. You can, and I, so I see the upgrade, which I have not progressed to that upgrade yet. But then I was like, oh, because I definitely died a lot. Going like, I should be able to pick this up, and I don't think it telegraphs that initially yeah. that you can't. But yes, it, it's very fun. Very oh, fun I, synapse. It's great. I I hated the the like fiery guys that run right. I very um serious sam style where they're just like ah they run up to you and explode you know this like suicide bomber kind running at you and explode oh i hated those guys for a long time and then the first upgrade i got was you know the real the money upgrade i got was pick up people and so then they would run at me and i would grab them and just chuck them and it was one of those things i love in video games where it's the thing that's been bothering you the thing you're just like so frustrated (laughs) about and then the game gives you a tool to deal with that in a very specific way and it is so sad it's like oh i am the god now i am the i have the power it's a very fun game synapse all right well that's what we've been playing and uh that does it for this episode of dlc we do have parting gifts coming up so stick around for those but rebecca valentine it is always such a pleasure to, to talk with you thank you for being here thank you for having me it's a delight always Tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the great stuff you do online. Wow. Well, that's a dicey prospect these days with all the social media platforms falling apart. <laughs> well, you can true. always find me at IGN.com slash person slash Duck Valentine. That's where all my work is. Uh, I'm still vaguely on Twitter at Duck Valentine. Duck Valentine is usually my handle everywhere except threads where I just really, really flubbed it. Uh, and then I don't know, I'm trying out blue sky right now. So if you're a blue sky person and want to track me down over there, still duck Valentine, whatever the default thing is, blue sky, social, whatever the heck that is, uh, trying it out, seeing if it works, maybe it won't. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the current status. Very cool. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, all of my upcoming work is going to be in Boulder's Gate 3. You can find it at your local newspaper. Uh, just go in there, infiltrate, change your headlines. That's where I'll be doing all of my... No, I am on threads, Christian underscore Spicer. Don't think I'm going to use it tons because I think my life is better <laughs> without social media. Um, this show... A st- a stellar endorsement. Go over and follow Christian for him to ignore most of it. No, you know, I'm, I'm nothing if not honest, Jeff. I'm nothing if not honest. Uh, this show has a Threads account, also an Instagram account. I guess they're the same. And it is DLC Hype Train because every podcast should start a social media account 10 years in. <laughs> <laughs> We're on top of it. We're We've gone this long. It. Why not now? So you can find that at Threads or at Instagram. And then, as you mentioned, feeling this is rip-roaring along. This last week's episode was about health, which I thought was a really interesting uh, idea for the show, something atypical for what we, Alex and I typically talk about. But I thought it was a fascinating conversation about how just even that one tiny mechanic of, of healing or how you respond or how you regenerate health in a game can change the feel of a game in such a dynamic way. So I encourage people to check that out over at Patreon. And a new episode of Feeling This is dropping, of course, on Feeling This Friday. So I hope people look forward to that as well. 
Quick anecdote. Uh, I went back and just checked out a, an old episode that Rebecca joined us back in 2021. Wow. Uh, and it, we had we had the old theme song uh, on the show then. And that episode happened to be the one right after uh, Elon Musk debuted the uh, the robot, the little robot thing. He had the, oh, yeah. the robot. And they used the theme song that we had been using uh, on the show. And I said at the beginning, I was like, uh, people have told us we should change the theme song. Ah, we're not going to do that. We're eight years in. Well, we, <laughs> then we changed the theme song. So wow. I don't know. You never know. about that robot? <laughs> all about the And, you know, even then it was like, Elon, he's a, he's a fun guy. What, what can, how can anybody not like Elon? He's gone on to bigger and better he, things. He really... <laughs> So many things I didn't know about back then. Anyway, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, I guess. Uh, I'm still there, I guess. Uh, I'm I'm uh, at Jeff Canada there and on threads, which is now, I guess, the thing. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in the world. I think threads will be a lot better when it has a dedicated people you follow tab versus yes. chronological yes yeah literally right the two the requirements you need for one of these that is <laughs> the other reason i'm not there currently one is because my handle on instagram the, the instagram account <laughs> i've never used is rebby v bucks which is embarrassing but the other reason is because the, i don't I, look i already see enough ads yeah every single day i don't i don't need to be inundated with what someone else thinks i should see it literally doesn't do the bare minimum of what we all require. And we're like, 70 million of us are like, please, it's not yeah. Elon. That's all we care about. No DMs yet. It really feels like this was not ready to yeah. launch yet. And then they were like, we're launching now because. Well, yeah, then Elon's like, God, you can only watch, look at 300 of these at a time. And they're like, we're <laughs> launching. We're <laughs> launching. <laughs> we're missing 80% of our features. We don't care. It's still better than the alternative. Push you the button. <laughs> 70 million signups in the first three days is this right. Anyway, wow. I have other podcasts. I do the film cast talking about movies and TV shows. I have We Have Concerns, which is a comedy science show. I have the Fan Controlled Show, which is a sports show. Check out all of those. Also, go over to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Kanata Jeff, where Lana and I are doing our weekly book club. You can get that as an audio podcast if you're a patron, but you can watch the video version on YouTube. So much fun. I'm having such a blast with that show. Uh, so check it out. Okay, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Rebecca, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah, I've recently gotten really into community-supported agriculture. Um, it is a thing. It's so it's a United States thing. So I'm sorry for listeners who are not in the United States. Uh, maybe you have a version of this, but, uh, community but they've got smart- everything else better than yeah, us. Right. So yeah. You know, they're fine. Like- <laughs> uh, community support agriculture CSA is a sort of nationwide thing. It takes different forms, but the idea is basically that there's like farmers probably in your area somewhere who participate in this and you are able to subscribe to them. It's like a little like month, like weekly or monthly or biweekly, whatever ours is every two weeks loot box of, fruit and vegetables, basically. Uh, and you partner with a farm that does these kinds of things. They you know, will let you know how, like, how much it is and what you can expect to get out of it. And for us, every two weeks, we get a box from this farm, like eight miles down the road in Half Moon Bay, 
that is just whatever they happen to be growing. And they partner with multiple other farms. So we get a pretty good variety of things. Uh, like currently, like this week, we got like strawberries and blueberries because fruits, those berries are in season. Uh, but then we also got like a bunch of different kinds of lettuce and cabbage and uh, so a big bundle of carrots and a, and a big piece of fennel, which Ooh. I don't normally buy giant pieces of fennel. But the idea was we wanted to eat more vegetables and and eat healthier and, and generally have a better relationship with food. And so now every two weeks, we just get this giant box of vegetables delivered to our door. Uh, and it's awesome because we're like supporting this local farm. It's not, I've, I've been to this farm. Like they have days where you can just come and do free picks sometimes, ours does. Uh, but it's basically the idea that you can just sort of support a, a smaller local farm and also get really fresh produce that you know where it's coming from. And it, you like, we, we've like learned about what's in season at what times. And I've tried a bunch of vegetables. I tried broccoli rob for the first time. I tried sugar snap peas for the first time. Uh-huh. Uh, yes. but it's been awesome. And so there, every place does it differently. Like I, I dabbled in it a little bit back when I was in Kansas and it was a little bit different there because of how seasonality works and what kinds of foods can grow Just there. All corn, only corn. No, <laughs> I'm, being, no. I'm, I'm being lame. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so like if, you, if you're a person who wants to start thinking about eating more fruits and vegetables and like have a, a closer like local community kind of relationship with your food and where it comes from, look into like community supported agriculture in your area and just see what kinds of possibilities there are. It's, it's been really, really cool and I'm really enjoying it. What a fantastic recommendation. I love that. We did that too, uh, my wife and I. Uh, and, and it has been awesome. Yeah. You get things and you're like, I don't even know what this is. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then you discover it. And it's, it's, it's delightful. Christian Spicer, what is your parting gift? I'm going to continue on the full lean into books that DLC apparently is doing after Heck I finished yeah. natural beauty, which was the last, it's a very recent book that I finished. I think I was my recommendation in last week's parting gift. Um, this week, I'm now currently reading Leave the World Behind, which is not my recommendation. It's very good. I haven't finished it. I'm maybe 30% in, so I cannot recommend it yet. I think it's going to be a Julia Roberts Netflix film at the end of this year. But my recommendation is, if you maybe you are like I was, or perhaps like Rebecca was after finishing Tears of the Kingdom, and I finished Natural Beauty, and I was like, I don't know what to read. Then I remembered my my age-old advice to myself that now I will share with others is, go to your whatever it is, New York Times, for me, it's LA Times, whatever your source of book lists would be, where they, they rank best books of the year or something like that, and look three to four years back. Because this current year's book list is going to be very hard to find at your local library or on Libby, and there's going to be a long wait for it. But if you go back to 2020's LA Times best books list, you will find Leave the World Behind. And that sound, I read the little blurb, like, that sounds fascinating. Available to check out right now? Don't mind if I do. And you know what? It's great. Kind of like video games. It turns out that books from two years ago, still very good. <laughs> they don't just all combust spontaneously no, after a year? Especially for fiction. It, it's odd. I thought for sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. The graphics aren't as good. I am reading it. You know, it's clearly a last. I just don't know if I can read a book if it's not in 4K. (laughs) I mean, it is is a last gen book, and the loading screens are are lengthy. (laughs) Are they doing any remasters of these books? I I mean, they're 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 still in the adaptation phase. We're not at the remaster phase of books yet. Um, But it's very good. So that's my recommendation. If you're looking for what to read, and it seems like all the new hotness is checked out, remember that there was a new hotness last year. (laughs) 
that is now widely available. Give it a look. Goodreads does that too. The, the, the their, you know, their awards of every year and you can go back on Goodreads and see all the previous years. Very good stuff. Jack, but Christian, you should get into Malazan with us. We're having so well, much I fun know, with the Malazan Books of the Fallen. So good. Do you know where I am now though? I'm, I'm waiting for, I'm not going to catch up. So now I'm waiting for you to stop. And then I can go at my own pace. <laughs> There's 10 books and we're on book two. Oh, so it's going to be a year or more. Anyway. I got to wait. You have the author coming on. So that's yeah. you know, that's a good jump in point. That's after this book, right? That's what he said. I think we're going to do it after every book. Maybe. Hopefully. Oh, man. That's great. He's awesome. Anyway, um, I'm going to mention a, uh, a show for my parting gift that uh, – so on the paid DLC program, I talked about – I brought this up. I brought this up on the film cast in an episode. Uh, my family rewatched Avatar The Last Airbender. It was a Good. joy. One of my yeah. favorite shows of all time. Uh, my dream was to be able to share it with my kids. And it surpassed my dream because it became this family appointment viewing where like, every night we would watch an episode. The whole family got together. My wife was into it. It was awesome. But we finished and there was a big, you know, there was this gaping hole in our lives of where, what are we going to, how are we going to fill that void of appointment viewing? And so I asked folks to s- suggest things. You all came through big time on awesome suggestions. I have v- a lot of different options at this point. The one we went with and we started with the family is a show called Gravity Falls. Yes. Which, so why did nobody tell me about this sooner? God. It's so good. It's so good. We are watching it on Disney Plus. I think it's also on Hulu, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it is delightful, genuinely funny, great for kids, great for adults. It's basically like what if Twin Peaks was a, a kid show? Uh, it's you know these two kids, brother and sister, in this place called Gravity Falls, Oregon, and there's just weird stuff that happens, and they're kind of investigating it. It's fantastic fantastic great animation style anyway thank you all for that recommendation but seriously this is why we have the parting gift section for you to email us and tell me these things sooner listeners go back and find out that it was on a parting gift probably 10 was. years ago probably. Yeah, probably was. it's such a all great right. show here's a this is a, a, a relatively long email so bear with me i'm going to read it this comes from travis he sent it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com travis says uh, I've been meaning to write this email for a long time. I wanted to talk about Magic the Gathering. I know this is a long email, but hear me out. I really feel like this will help a lot of people realize that not only is Magic the Gathering a deep, complex, fun strategy game, but it can also be affordable and approachable too. Historically on DLC, Magic the Gathering has gotten kind of a bad rap, even from the guests who play and enjoy it. Whenever Magic the Gathering comes up, it is always concluded that the game is pay to win and unapproachable to new players. While this is true for a lot of popular formats, I'm going to tell you about a way to play that only costs about $3 per week. Editorializing here for a second. That's just still not nothing, but okay. This is good. Uh, Does not allow pay-to-win tactics and only requires a group of four or more players. For the last two years, my friends and I have participated in the Magic the Gathering League of about six to eight players that meets for three to four hours per week to play Magic the Gathering. We started this league the week that the Strixhaven set was released in 2021, though this could easily have been replicated at the beginning of any set release. On the first night that the League is created, everybody brings a, an official pre-release kit. A pre-release kit costs about $20 and comes with six draft booster packs. To begin the night, each player opens their pre-release kit and constructs a 40-card deck to play with. Once everyone has built a deck, 
Opponents are randomly assigned and players play a best of three match against their opponents. After three best of three rounds, play is concluded and you're left with a ranking of all the players from best record to worst record. Once play has concluded, open up one additional booster pack for each player who has played that night. Players can now go home and use those new cards to build new decks or improve the same deck they played with that night to use the next week. Then next week, everybody shows up with their deck, skipping the building phase that took place the first week and do it all over again. This format allows players to add new cards to their collection each week at an even steady rate, keeping things fresh and giving players the opportunity to play new decks without making it pay to win. This continues for a couple of months until Wizards of the Coast releases a new set, and then we start it all over again with the pre-release night. And it has only gotten even more fun from there. We now have a Discord server that we use to talk about the game, give each other deck-building advice, and come up with new ways to play. We enter all the weekly results into an ELO system to have persistent standings from week to week. We've introduced trade systems to help people get the cards they need to build the decks they want to play. Everybody in the league, veterans and newer players alike, say that this has been the most fun they have ever had playing Magic the Gathering. It allows for a group of friends to consistently have a wide variety of play available to them, adding new cards to their collection every week without having to spend a bunch of money on the most expensive cards in order to be competitive. That's Travis making a, a very spirited uh, presentation about uh, about a way to play Magic the Gathering, which sounds super fun to me. Super fun. I wish I had the time for that. And it just sounds awesome. If you'd like to have your parting gift around our show, send it to us. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where you send it. All right. That's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Rebecca Valentine and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those awesome bumpers. Thanks to our theme song composers, White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. Uh, thanks to Jesse J. Anderson, who created DLCSwag.com, where you can get cool T-shirts and other swag for the show. Uh, but the biggest thanks we have to reserve for our patrons. Thank you, patrons, for supporting the show at Patreon.com slash DLCPod. You make it possible. Our top-tier patrons, our hype-trained patrons, get their names read out at the end of every episode, which Christian is going to do right now. The audio of this music is described as romantic. In case you're out there trying to romance a bear and you need something to accompany you, perhaps this will work as I try to romance our hype train patrons. Patrons like Jonathan Putney, Will with 1L Harris, Chris Zacharias, Jonathan Talbert, Scooby Diesel, Adam Denby, Sasan, Dan Flanagan, Anthony Goulas, Andy Joyce, Matt Valdez, John Sisko, David Epp, Hyperboy66, Brian Yordan, Rob, Wonder Rob Dominguez, Dwayne T. Robinson, Tyler Buckwild Brode, Stephen T. Seifert, Joe DeFrank, Scott Lambert, Shoruken, Comedian Aaron Trahan, Curtis from Louisville, Relentless Rex, Michael S., Kyle Starr, Riley Knox, Rob Rixman, Hank Patton, Cheesy Bob, Victor Venezuela, Matt Bradley, Jeff Luxack, Mitchell Ness, Jimmy Radcliffe, Scott Hughes, Jenny, Nate, Zachary White, Yick, Soren Silk, Travis, Jackson, Michael Stadler, Nick Strauss-Klein, Josh Peake, Taylor Wigert, Jason Novak, Octavian Ratziu, Christian Bravery, 
Jad, Peter Olberg, Michael Buck, Mike Lombardo, Spiceman Silencer, Albert for Hell to Dios, Jonathan, Spiceman Forever Schlepplefer, Stu Goss, Kevin Brazel, Ben, Dan Palmino, Malcolm King, and Mark Gowland. So if you're out there trying to romance a bear or romance anyone else, maybe this romantic music helped get you across the finish line. Enjoy your bear. Thanks for supporting the show. All right. That's it for this episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.